From the Haunted Attraction Network, I'm Philip, and this is a bonus episode of our weekly segment of Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. We typically air Green Tagged every Monday, and Green Tagged is our weekly commentary show where we break down the news and discuss why it matters to your haunt. Of course, we're still airing Green Tagged episodes, but since our Hauntathon is currently happening, this is going to be treated as a bonus episode. Check your feed for today's regular Hauntathon episode. Anyway, here is Scott Swenson and I with this week's installment of Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. Okay, from our studios this week in Detroit and Tampa, I'm Philip. This is Green Tagged Theme Park in 30, and I'm joined by my co host, Scott Swenson of Scott Swenson Creative Development. Hello, hello, back in Tampa, um, once again, at least for a while, and ready to go for the show. We got a lot to talk about. Mm hmm. Well, we're starting off here with a little update in the labor crisis. There's something that, that might be some good news. The DHS announced 65,000 additional work visas for 2023. On Wednesday, the Departments of Homeland Security and Labor announced an increase in the number of H-2B visas issued to temporary foreign workers by an additional 64,000 and, and change. With this increase, employers within the tourism industry that usually face staffing shortages throughout the summer will be able to leverage this increase in their benefit. And just for clarity, this visa program permits employers to temporarily hire non-citizens to perform non-agricultural labor or services in the U.S. It must be temporary nature, such as one-time occurrence, seasonal, or intermittent need. And the employers seeking the workers must take a series of steps to test the U.S. labor market, et cetera, et cetera. But... Um, I don't personally know any any people, any op- any operators personally that use the visa program, but I know that it is utilized by some of the larger chains quite extensively. And I think that basically doubling the amount <laughs> that was going to be prepared for 2023 is going to be good to help kind of ease a lot of the the big the big infrastructure cases that need seasonal staffing. Yeah, this is this is nothing new. I just want to point out that this has been going on for quite some time. Back in my days at Bush Gardens. Bush Gardens and SeaWorld used this quite a bit and um, used, they in fact, not only used this, but also uh, invested in uh, either rental or purchase of housing and transportation mm-hmm. for all of these, exactly. these uh, folks. And um, it was truly a saving grace uh, during some of the <clears throat> previous staffing challenges. And uh, you know now that we are in, as we've talked about multiple times on the show, um, now that we're in an ongoing staffing reassessment, I don't even I don't even want to call it a challenge because I don't think it's something that's just going to go away. I think we're just it's gonna, not going to go away. I, don't I think, think so, we're yeah. just going to have to to kind of reimagine uh, how we deal with with staffing, and I think this is certainly one of the tools in the toolbox, and I like it a lot. Um, I I just got back from the 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 TEA state in in um, in Las Vegas, and one of the one of the topics of discussion, of course, was staffing from pretty much everybody. Mm-hmm. And I found mm-hmm. it interesting that <clears throat> staffing isn't just an HR issue now. Um, staffing is one of those things. It was discussed that everybody has to take into consideration what staffing means. That includes um, the marketing team as to setting hours. That includes the um, that includes, includes the PR team on setting expectations as to what's going to be open, what's not. My favorite, however, was the topic of... Uh, uh, designing so that we need fewer people, um, yeah. designing rides, safety, safety equipment, um, guest experiences that require a smaller staff or a more efficient use of staff so that um, 
you can make sure that everything in your park is open. Um, I think that this obviously is, this is a much more boots on the ground approach. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think we need to keep all of them in mind because like I said, I don't, the staffing thing is going away, but I'm glad to see that there's a little bit of, a little bit of short-term help by, uh, by getting some additional, additional temporary work visas. I think that's great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Well, okay, let's move over to Disney. Disney's back in the news because in a move that should be no surprise to anybody, Disney Genie Plus prices have increased. <laughs> oh, shocker. Oh, gosh. I, maybe we should get like a little sound effect whenever Disney prices go up. I don't know. Cha-ching! <laughs> Cha-ching! Okay, whoa, cash, there we go. Cash register sound. So far, pricing for the Disney Genie Plus service has been fixed at $15 per ticket per day at the Walt Disney World and $20 per ticket per day at Disneyland. However, starting on October 11th, Genie Plus will have demand-based pricing at both resorts. At Disneyland, Disney Genie Plus will cost $25 per ticket per day if purchased in advance. That's the asterisk, if purchased in advance. Obviously, day of prices would fluctuate even more. Mm -hmm. And Disney World will no longer sell Genie Plus in advance at all. (laughs) Genie Plus prices will range at Disney World from 15 to 22 a day. So basically, it went from 2025 and then 15 to 22 on a sliding scale. And it went from Disneyland in advance, they're keeping that whole system, but Disney World is not doing it in advance at all. And the one kind of bone they threw people was that on the Disneyland side, the Web Slingers ride is now going to be included in the Genie Plus because, because also as a reminder, everyone, Disney Genie Plus does not include every ride at the properties. There are still those top tier rides, right, that are individually ticketed, even if you have the Disney Genie Plus uh, option. Yeah, and more and more discussions are happening about you know the stuff that we've been talking about on the show, the 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 multiple um, velvet rope concept or the additional add-on, and and it, it again when I've been surrounded by theme park folk for the last five days, um, this was another topic that came up pretty regularly, uh, mm-hmm. and it was interesting because it's kind of like. You know, we, we've talked about the the days of the e-ticket at Disney, where you know you had mm-hmm. the, the the small the small entry fee and then a ticket fee for each of the the experiences, and then it got away from that. Well, it's just coming back because basically what's happening is instead of giving a, a, an upcharge for independent uh, elements, it's an upcharge for access to the elements. So everyone mm-hmm. has access to all of the elements for the minimal price assuming that they plan their day accordingly and can get all of their um, their reservations in and and this that and the other thing so um, it's it's interesting because it's a it's pretty much going back to the ABCDE ticket at Disney except instead of uh, I it uh, Space Mountain is an e ticket mm-hmm. it's uh, ac- access throughout the course of my stay or throughout the course of my day, is more guaranteed, not guaranteed, but more guaranteed or more likely to be guaranteed based on where I sit with my my Disney Genie Plus. You know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, it's it's interesting because it's really it, it's a, it's a new it's a new skin on an old idea is the way I look at it. Mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe mm-hmm. I, maybe I'm maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but it just seems like the pendulum has swung from we're gonna we're gonna I don't want to say nickel and dime, but we're gonna a la carte things for you. And then it went to, nope, everything's included. And now it's going back to the a la carte concept, even outside a theme park. I mean, you know, even things like, um, 
like uh, like Area 15 in Las Vegas. You in Area 15, you've got a mul- multiple different attractions that you know, you once you get into the area, it's really cool. But then you can decide, okay, I'll do this and I'll do this and I'll pay for this and I'll pay for this, as opposed to mm-hmm. making it all one fee to be able to do everything. You know, um, yeah. I, I think that I think that theme parks are doing the a la carte thing, but I think Disney's doing it instead of a la carte via attraction. They're doing it a la carte via access. Uh, I think that kind of makes sense. It makes sense in my head. I don't know whether it makes sense to anybody else, but they're but they're doing the the upcharge. So you know, the, if you if you just want to come into the park, you can just come into the park. But if you want easier access to the rides you really want to see, here's the additional fee that that's going to cost. Yeah, I think that we've talked about it the the pendulum concept quite a lot, and I, I think we're going to see that with this uh, because I think that the key to this whole there's two kind of forces in this whole thing. I think the timing, because it happened through the pandemic, right? I think that was kind of the the thing that really pushed the pendulum in that way, right? It was kind of a, a good merging of all of all the times. It's just like people saying supply chain and saying prices, you know, all those things. But those aren't. I don't think those are again the pendulum. That's not going to last forever, right? And at the the other factor here. So one is timing. I think that that's going to determine, you know, the pendulum swing back in that direction or when guests are going to not, no longer put up with it, really. It's the timing. They put up with it now because it's a pandemic and people have been, you know, all, all uprooted. But the other factor I think plays in, that's going to play in, is Disney, is, as we've talked about, is its brand of its own. But for smaller attractions, it kind of is like the, the experience still has to function, as a regular experience, if you're going to sell it as a regular experience. So the velvet ropes and, and these extra, all the whatever doodahs, they can't make it so that the rest of the experience doesn't function. You know, Disney, as we talked about, is its own brand of crazy and has a has a park. But, you know, for instance, if you, you know, it, if you went to Disney and then you walked in, but there was literally nothing to do and you couldn't get on any of the rides, you just had to leave. That wouldn't function at, you know, for the base ticket. So it's still, I still think, and there are some attractions that I have seen where it's not, uh, because of their additions, the, the base ticket is not functioning, right? If you're going to an experience and it's a linear experience and you're having to wait three plus hours and you miss time or you miss whatever, um, and you can't get into the attraction still and the line closes, which has happened this season, um, that's not functioning on the base level. So I, I think the combination of these two things is definitely, I think, going to cause the pendulum to swing back. I think the timing plus degradation of the core experience well, to and, sell. You and, can't market a thing that you can't sell. Correct. Right? Correct. Correct. Uh, and, 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 you know, it's interesting because people are like, well, I can't believe I have to pay extra to, to go to every attraction. And yet I went to uh, Walt Disney World the second year it was open. And mm-hmm. if we did three major attractions a day, we were doing quite well. Because average wait time was two hours, mm-hmm. and um, you know, Country Bear Jamboree, and uh, which was you know, as a small child, that was like a lister attraction. Haunted the Haunted Mansion, always an a lister attraction. Certainly back in that in those days. Um, so if we did three, maybe four major attractions per day, we were doing quite well. Um, as as the uh, the the velvet ropes got lifted and it became more of a buffet versus a la carte. Um, that the reason that happened was because those queues weren't as long. So they could actually, you know, the, the, yeah. the, the bloom was off the rose a little bit 
And now, because of, you know, I, I, you can look at COVID in one of two ways. COVID was either a disruptor or an accelerator. It either yeah. disrupted the way things were going um, or accelerated them to the next level because people are now like, I just have to get out and I want to do everything and I want to do everything now. Um, so it's, it's interesting, but the, the experience itself, and this is, I came to this conclusion not too long ago, because you've heard me say, I don't want to go to Disney if I have to, you know, be my own concierge and plan everything out. Uh, the night before or the get up at 5.15 in the morning and figure it all out so that I can actually have fun during the day. Um, but at the same time, I think back and I go, well, you know, we had limited experiences back then just based on crowds. So mm -hmm. uh, maybe I've evolved too. I don't know. It's it's just interesting. It's not, it, it, it's, new, it's a new way of, of creating a similar situation, if that makes any sense at all. Uh, yeah. One thing that Disney will, that I will say that Disney does do when they do things like this is they design for it. You know, if you mm -hmm. are a small... Exactly. That's exactly what I was trying to get at is that I think a lot of places will take the Velvet Rope concept but not design for it. And that causes their core product to become non-serviceable. Right. And exactly. if at the very least, you know, if at the very least you design a separate queue for your Velvet Rope, your early access, your speed pass, whatever you want to no. call it. Um, even, even for your, um, <clears throat> for your tours, if you have private tours that you offer, uh, if you have, if you have a separate queue that, and this would be my recommendation only based on my experience and based on what many, many guests have told me over the years, make it so that the entrance to the VIP queue, to the fast pass queue, whatever you want to call it is visible, but where it joins in to the, to the, to the actual ride or attraction itself is um, hidden as much as possible. I mean, obviously yeah. you're going to see somebody get in front of you, but if you see this entire line, just walk past you in a speed line and go straight up and get on a ride ahead of you, that just pisses people off. who are in the ride. If they don't see that, they don't think about it and it doesn't happen until the tail end. So they don't get a chance to, to grouse about it for the 20, 30 minutes that they're standing there watching these people zip by them. Um, but design for it. You can't just say, oh, we're just going to let them go ahead and we're going to redo our chains and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Plan for it. Plan for it. And yeah. recognize that, yeah. <clears throat> you know, if you have, even if you do, do a limited number, even if you do a limited number of these Genie Plus, Fast Pass, Front of Line, whatever you want to call them, um, put that into your operational plan so that you know that during the course of an hour, you are going to have, I'm going to make up a number, a hundred of these fast pass people and, and base the number of, of these upcharges or upgrades that you're planning to sell on the number you can accommodate. Disney obviously is a different animal. They've got a, they've got a much more complex system, but take the theory that they're using and apply it on your level. Okay, next up, Universal. So Universal Orlando has added two new dates for Halloween Horror Nights. This is kind of an old story, and there's really not too much about this other than the nights they added were off nights. It's like a Monday and a Wednesday <laughs> type of a thing. So they're starting to, I think, you see this experiment of for Hell Week and, and the preceding week, right, um, creep into uh, the regular week to see how far they can push it. I think that it will do well because of what we were just talking about, Express Pass is their version of, of what Disney is doing, right? You get Express Pass, you can go into each haunted house line once, but they also sell their annual passes for Horror Night. So essentially, it's the same, I don't want to say problem, but it's the same kind of 
uh, situation where you have lines that are very, very long because you have express line. And I think that pushes it where you know, the locals are going to get passes and have to come multiple nights to, you know, three or four nights really to get the whole event if you're not going to pay for the upgrades. So I, I think that, uh, because of all that, I do think that those extra nights are going to do well because there's plenty of uh, people that still need to get their, get all the attractions checked off before the season ends. But, but just you know, saying that. The other thing I like is they uh, they didn't open with these nights announced. So what this yes. suggests to me is they're they're doing well. There's a reason to open these nights. Um, Correct. And because who opens a Monday, right? Unless you really, really are doing well, like you really. You really would not open a Monday. You would open like a Wednesday, maybe, but a Monday is a really those are those are odd days to open. But from an operational standpoint, these are days that have been part of the plan from the get-go and just never made aware or never made available to the guests until they were absolutely certain they yeah. needed them. So these yeah. were always part of the business plan because you yeah. can't get the number of people um, that you need to run at Halloween Horror Nights. You can't get that number of people just by saying, "Oh, by the way, you know, we're going to add yeah. this this night in two weeks." You, you can't, you can't do it. You can't do it. So yeah. this was all, which is another takeaway for attractions too. Yeah. Is, this is, was always part of the plan. Yeah. You don't have to announce every night that you're going to be available. And, and quite honestly, I, I think there is something to be said for the fact that, you know, here we are talking about Halloween Horror Nights in the middle of their run. Um, it gets them back to the top of the list on the, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. on the, the news media or the social media platforms. Mm -hmm. Because all of a sudden they're making a new announcement. Hey, more days, which of course guests uh, interpret as, wow, we have more opportunities to go. Or I didn't want to go because it was just going to be too crowded. But this Monday is going to be great because it's perfect for us, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's a really good strategy. I'm also going to add to about the Monday element. Um, there's a lot of competition in those last two weeks of, of October. Um, everybody is in full swing. And there's even competition for Horror Nights, of course, because, you know, in at the inverse, the smaller events are only open those weekends, right? So if you did want to go to a smaller event, you have to choose it over Universal just because of the timing. So I think opening up, like nobody else is open on those days. <laughs> like that's that's the long and the short of it. And I think that's that's a great move to wait to announce them so you get in the news cycle and then the consumer sees it and they go, oh, well... Nobody else is open those days, so that's 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 actually open for me. I can actually go on these days. So, yep. Yeah. Okay, well, our next story here is actually from a listener of the show, Teresa, from Dark at Fort Edmonton, from Fort Edmonton Park in Edmonton, Canada. And she sent over kind of a little mini case study about uh, their experiments on TikTok. So they've created a Mr. Dark video series on TikTok to promote their Halloween event, Dark at Fort Edmonton. And... She says that one video alone gained 400, I'm sorry, gained 506,000 views in less than 48 hours. So half a million in less than 48 hours. And it's kind of cresting at uh, 719,000 views, 900 comments, 5,500 shares, et cetera, et cetera. So she kind of compares it to some of Disney's latest TikToks, which are averaging only 48,000 per video. So in terms of, so it's doing really well, basically. Uh, she says also that we saw our highest dark preseason ticket sale days as a result of the video series. And the entire series has generated over 2,500 new followers for their Fort Edmonton page. And that's the Fort Edmonton page overall. So again, everything we've talked about, you know, this is going to help them. Those followers are going to help for 
beyond the Halloween season as well. And then the direct correlation between doing that and and seeing the ticket sales. And we don't talk too, too much, I think, about the, the, the TikTok yet or some of these things, but, but this is a great example of using those types of uh, guest interactive and these, these fun moments to capture trends and whatnot. I think that the one thing I'm going to add is you can never really design for a viral video, you know, it, as much as people try and sell you on it or say that it's possible. You can't really design a viral video. You can check all the boxes and you can try and you can, but the, the, best, the best tactic is still to create consistent quality content on a regular basis. And then that's, that improves your chances, but you can't like design for this. It's, it's glad, I'm glad it happened. It's a great, great, you know, case study of how they see it impacting, but you'd, you know, it's like lightning in a bottle for some of these things. So. Well, and I, and I have to say, I'm, I am so glad, I am so glad that Dark is doing well. Um, I'm very biased. I was part of the, the creative team for the first year of, of Dark at Fort Edmonton Park. And Teresa is, Teresa and her entire team are just amazing. Um, they're so excited about the Halloween product and bringing it to Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And um, they're clearly doing a, a phenomenal job. They're not the only game in town. They do have some competition, but they have taken, they have some uh, some assets, some unique assets as part of their, um, Fort Edmonton Park is, is actually a uh, history museum, an outdoor history museum that mm-hmm. uh, replicates different eras in the, in the history of Edmonton, Alberta. And uh, so they've got some unique assets and they're playing them up for all that they're worth. Um, it is, you know, I, obviously I've, I've, I've been to the event. I, I was there the, the opening year. And um, even then, even in the, in the infancy stage, it was a blast. It was so much fun. And people gathered. There's a, there's a social element about doing a Halloween event that's in a really, really cold climate that is incredible. Um, because all these folks gather around giant fire pits and and express and explain how their night's going and what they've done and what they can do and what they want to do. Um, so there's a, there's a great communal quality to it. Um, and I think that uh, the, Teresa and her team have basically taken this communal feeling and put it out on, um, on TikTok. They, they're, mm-hmm. I think that's part of the reason that they've seen such, in, such incredible success is because it's already innate in their brand. It's innate in what the guest experience has been. Um, in that there is a, a unique sort of communal vibe, and now it's just taken on a whole new viral world in the in the the uh, the TikTok realm. So um, so I'm so glad that things are going well for them. I'm so excited that they're continuing to grow. And the thing I've loved about working with that team and watching that team even after I stopped working with them, um, because honestly they 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 used me to kickstart their their event and then. They didn't need me. They just took and ran, and I love it. Um, but they've continued to test new things. They've continued to expand to new uh, audiences and, and, demogra- and demographics without ignoring the original demographic for the event. So yeah. very, very clever choices. And um, for any of you who are in the area, go go check it out. Um, it's a it's a great it's a great event, and and so much fun and unique. It is unique, and it's based. It's unique because of what they what they are during the year, and what they what assets they have to play with. So, yeah, yeah. check out check out Dark in Edmonton. We had Teresa on the show recently at the Hard Fashion Network as well uh, to go over the new changes to their event. So, if you're curious about uh, what they're doing, she also walks through kind of the history and their development, and also to note that pairs well with this that they're doing. They've continued to do some of the online events that they created during the pandemic when they couldn't open. So they've, they've 
trimmed them down, but they've continued to do some of them. So I think that that all plays into that sense of kind of community yeah. that Scott was yeah. talking about. They're they're finding a way to build a community online for a seasonal event, which is not easy to do, um, but takes consistent work. And their team has been consistent. They developed the programs. They've been keeping them. They've been keeping people engaged. I think that it's it's all that is um, important. And if you can do it right, obviously it can it can do well. So. Okay, well, so kind of speaking of takeaways, um, of course, I've, I've been keeping up with our daily Hauntathon series over on the Hauntathon Network, and I thought we could talk about some of the takeaways from some of the interviews and the reporting that I've done and some of the in-person events that I have visited. And of course, right now I'm in Detroit because I'm at Hush Haunted Attraction. <laughs> and Hush, I think we talked about this. I think we talked about this. I forget. But Hush this year debuted three new bars in their attraction. And so I'll kind of give the, the overview of it. So Hush Hot Attraction is a linear indoor experience. You walk in, there's a queue line that's all themed around walking into a New Orleans square called Hush Falls. And the businesses in the square are the different kind of businesses that are available there at the attraction. So you walk in and the haunted house is the hotel. So you go into the Hush Falls Hotel, that's your, you check in, and that's kind of your gateway to start your journey through the attraction. So what they did this year, it's a linear attraction, but they added three bars, three themed bars. One of the bars is in the square, and it's called Voodoo Blues. So it sits in the, in the, the Q-Line New Orleans Square area and provides kind of viewing where people in the bar can view people that are standing in line and whatnot. Um, and then there are two more bars that are embedded into the attraction itself, into the haunt line itself. So you kind of discover them as you walk, as you go through the haunt. And bar number two is base camp, and it's right at the transition point, kind of between what what happens is you start in the hotel, and then you kind of like go into the boiler room and kind of like underground and kind of eject out the back of the hotel in the storyline. And you kind of discover an archaeological camp outside where they've been digging up artifacts, right? So right at that transition point is where bar two is, and it's called Expedition Base Camp Bar. And you go into that, the the way you enter the bar is there's a big like artifact crate that like, says fragile on it, and you kind of swing that crate open and you enter the crate, and the bartender's there, you can get your bar, your drink, and then you actually walk like into the the little base game into the tent and there's a seating area in there that's all themed with the the dig site stuff and the archaeologic the archaeologists are there talking to you and whatnot. Right. Then you can exit that and the final bar is in the final section of the haunt, which is kind of mansion themed, like kind of like the mansion next door type of theme. And it's the carriage house that sits outside of the mansion is where the bar is. So as you're walking up to the mansion, you can make a little hang a left and go into the carriage bar. And each of the bars, they've tested a different concept that we've talked about uh, quite extensively on the show. Because we've talked about, again, this this concept of adding bars, which is kind of a new trend. And we've talked about the do's and don'ts and what would make it work and what doesn't, blah, blah, blah. And so bar one, Voodoo Blues, that that testing moment is it's outside of the queue line. So you can, more people can stay there longer. And so they can drink more in theory. And because it's, looking at the queue line, it's that thing that Scott just said where you can watch people 
in the queue, and then you can get your expedited line, but like it happens in a way that's removed so that you're not in the face and disrupting the guests that are in lines. You can't just walk around them after you get your drinks, right? So bar two experiments with the concept of having to do something because you're you're walking through the base camp, right? You're opening the door, you kind of you're you're experimenting with that kind of thing. And it's in the middle of the attraction. There's much more interesting physical design space in that one, right? And then bar three, the carriage house, is there are windows that allow you to look into the graveyard that the guests walk through. So you can see guests walking through the haunt and getting scared. And there's a little air compressor button that you can press there to hit people with air compressors are walking through. So each bar is kind of testing one of the the things that we've talked about that would make to make these events successful. So yeah, I love that. It's well, and it's something that, you know, again, this stuff is is these ideas and these concepts are not new, but it's interesting to see them implemented in a haunt that or in an experience that's not, for example, Disney. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, if if you've well, both parks have them, I think, or it did at one point. The uh, the the restaurant that's literally inside of Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, yeah, um, it, it's Blue Bayou, Blue Bayou inside. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's it, Cinderella Castle. You know, there's yep. there's this concept of yep. of dining within the immersive experience has been a has been a thing. And then the bars, even we talked about SeaWorld a few weeks back, right? Um, putting the bars into, I mean, th- this is a oh. thing. And now, and now things like Hush and and Halloween Nights mm-hmm. um, in Philly, uh, you know, they're all mm-hmm. they're all incorporating this idea, which I think is great. I mean, it's it makes for a it makes for a a, a full night. It makes for a longer evening. Um, it has more perceived value, even though you're actually spending money. You're actually spending more money. Spend um, more money, yeah. Bar, but you end up. Thinking, well, you know, I spent my X amount on a ticket, and instead of it being uh, two hours or like 15, 20 minutes and done, it becomes two to four hours because yeah. you spend time drinking and having fun and yeah. shooting air cannons at people and drinking more and having more fun. It's, I think it's a brilliant, a brilliant move. And some data points to finish it off here is that uh, Cody has been seeing about 30%, 20 to 30% of the tickets will upgrade to the bar passes. And the bar passes are the things you buy to get you access to them. So it's it's different than like a token system. You know, it's a, So basically it's like they wear things. That way the attendants know to bring them into the bar so they don't miss them. So about 20 to 30%, which is a big uptick, right? I mean, that is a, so that, that's a, yeah, that's a, that's a huge velvet rope um, uptick. And the only thing that I will say, this is not from the attraction, this is just from me, from my personal observations. Um, I will say that uh, for you listening and thinking of putting this kind of stuff in, it's tough because, again, the throughput becomes an issue, right? When they're in the middle of an attraction, throughput becomes an issue. So you either need to compensate with it being a more expensive experience or you need to find a way to cycle them. But the problem with cycling them is that, you know, people need to spend more than 15 minutes in a bar to buy a second drink, right? So you need, you need, so if you want them to buy more drinks, you need a way for them to stay in the space longer, right? And if you don't want them to buy drinks, then it needs to be priced appropriately so that it, you're utilizing the space well, right? Because you're going to be cycling them through. And the, the voodoo thing was, is an attempt, right, at, at making a space that sits outside the queue to let right. them kind of uh, stay longer. But but that, from my observation, that was kind of the problem, was really just the the throughput hiccups in, in terms of 
getting that right. So. And it, it may also be an opportunity to explore in the future with things like virtual queuing inside the bar mm-hmm. to to re-enter. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, we are out of time. I, I would be I would be remiss if I didn't say uh, while I was at I mentioned that I was at at the TEA state earlier. Um, I was approached by multiple, multiple people who are listeners, and I was, I was thrilled and and tickled to be recognized, and and uh, so, and we did a, a story even in this episode from Teresa, who I know is a listener as well. Um, so, guys, thank you so very much. You have no idea how much we appreciate hearing that you uh, enjoy or get something out of, or just want us to argue more, because I heard that too, <laughs> um, uh, about the show. We love your input. We love your feedback. Uh, please keep it coming and please continue to to share what we have to offer with other people in the industry because uh, we do this because we love it and we do this because we love this industry and we want to continue to see it grow based on best practices that hopefully we'll get you to we'll get you to at least think about or talk about amongst your peers. So until next time, this is Scott and Philip for Green Tag Theme Park in 30, and we'll see you next week. Today's episode was produced and edited by me, Philip Hernandez, with post-production by David Swope and original music composed by Chris Thomas. We're counting down to Halloween with daily podcasts, videos, and events in our 61-day Hauntathon. Follow along at the link in our show notes. Our Hauntathon is made possible through generous support from Gantam Lighting and Controls. Gantam illuminates attractions worldwide with the world's smallest intelligent spotlights. See what you're missing with a free demo Sign up at gantum.com slash demo. That's gantum.com slash demo. Our Hauntathon team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Louise Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Omni Adventures. Our partners for this year's Hauntathon include Sharp Productions, HorrorBuzz.com, ScareTrack, TheScareFactor.com, and Hauntopic Radio. The best way you can support us this Halloween season is by sharing our Hauntathon with someone you think will enjoy it. And to follow along to our Hauntathon, sign up for our weekly newsletter at hauntedattractionnetwork.com. We'll catch you back here tomorrow and every day until Halloween. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.